Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Music Attic Podcast. This is Joe. And this is Will. And this week, we're going to be doing a review of the new album from Mr. Kitty titled Ephemeral. I think that's it. <laughs> I've been uh, kind of grinding my teeth trying to figure out how the hell to pronounce that anyways. Yeah, yeah, I think it's ephemeral. Yeah, it's a, it's definitely an interesting album. Uh, Mr. Kitty was one of those uh, driving home at 3 o'clock in the morning type of discoveries. I happened upon his first album a couple of years ago and really fell in love with the song After Dark. And uh, I would recommend anybody, uh, you want to get a song stuck in your head for about two weeks straight, you listen to it on repeat, uh, listen to that song. Uh, that being said, uh, it was interesting to hear that not only was uh, Mr. Kitty, a.k.a. Forrest Lemaire, was going to be releasing an album uh, the start of the year, but it was going to be a 30-track album. Yeah, it's pretty intense. Yeah, when you think about it, because you're thinking 30 tracks, you know, okay, double album, I get it. You know, you're going to probably have 15 to 16 actual songs and a bunch of interludes, but uh, no, this is a 30-track album. It's it's a lot to digest. Yeah, it's going to be at least an hour and a half long, if not longer. I'd say probably closer to like it's an two hour. Two hours. Yeah, almost two hours. Um, I know it was quite a process for both you and I to digest and actually just listen to it. Um, it wasn't like it was unchallenging. This was a... A very big record to listen to. Yeah, I tried to, because uh, I do a lot of my listening on my way to work, and I have a 25-minute ride, and for two nights I listened to as many songs as I could off of the album, driving, and then I just I couldn't even make it fucking halfway. Yeah, it, it, and, it, and it, it gets you, and it's not that the, the album itself in any way is, uh, is tiresome, it's just, it's a lot, and there's a lot to digest in it. Um, it took me the better part of like a two, almost a two-hour working night by myself with headphones in to actually listen to it all. And uh, it really, at, at the end of the day, the only thing I could say about the album is that it's just too fucking long. That's it. That's really it. <laughs> I wish he would have cut it into two 15-track albums and released them six months apart from each other. Absolutely. And I think at, at that stage in the game, you could have bookended a year with both of those tracks. Yeah, and just, you just title it part one and part two. Yeah. I mean, it's worked for other artists in the past. It's, and it's, and it's still, even that it's not a detraction because there's literally 30 quality songs on this record. Yeah. For the most part, they're all pretty solid. I, I feel weird judging him. And because I know this album was actually a hard one. For him to make because a friend of his had committed suicide. Yeah. Was it? Last year. Last year. And basically this whole album is about that and the loss that goes along with it. Yeah. When you when I sat down and listened to this album and really just kind of processed what he was talking about, you get – it's almost like the uh, – it's almost like you, you're, you're fully going down the path of the steps of like the loss, the anger, the resentment, the guilt, the remorse, all the things that you would feel when you lose somebody. And, and like – on the on the off side of it, uh, he actually went through a period after writing this album where he kind of like just disappeared from social media for a while because it really messed with his mental health, you know. And that and that tells you a lot about like you know how delicate people in general just can be, you know. Trying to come to terms with a friend leaving him, and it you know it sent him on a dark path too. But I digress. We digress, so we're going to do our best to kind of review this album. We're not going to do a track-by-track breakdown like we usually do because I only pay for three hours a month to upload yeah. fucking it, It'd take us three hours just to break yeah. through a track-by-track. Yeah. We'll just kind of give you, like, the uh, the sweetest morsels of this, you know. And there's, there's some really, really good tracks on here. Um, 
you know, sport, we could start with From Liquid because I think that is probably the strongest track on the record. Yeah, I agree. From Liquid was my fav- uh, second favorite, if not favorite track on the album. I The only song, and, and that's the second song on the album, the only song that I really didn't care that much about was the opening track, Wait. Yeah. It's, uh, it, it, it's the only thing that feels a bit contrived. Right. The rest of the album is, it's you feel the emotion ranging from sadness to reminiscence to straight up anger. There's some tracks when you listen to it, you can feel the how angry he is at the yeah. subject matter in this whole uh, this album. Well, from Liquid, 100. percent I yeah. mean, has probably the harder vocals on the album. And I think we need to back up and actually say what kind of an album this is. Yeah, for yeah, music. we we jumped into it. We, we keep we keep forgetting that you know isn't a conversation that we've already had with all all of our <laughs> listeners out there in uh, in <laughs> podcast land. Uh, what we're talking about, your Mr. Kitty is. It's really hard to peg him as one artist. I would definitely say suicide pop would be an apt description because it's yeah. very it's club heavy. A lot of the stuff you can listen to just the music and, and it's very great clubby, ravey type music. But the lyricism behind it, there's definitely a darkness, a sadness to almost everything I've heard him do. Now, I texted you the other night on my way to work. It said... He is a fucking carbon copy of some band. Did you figure it out? From the late 90s, like 98 to 2002. And I was completely wrong. He is a mix of fucking 100 different musicians, DJs, bands from that era. Oh, yeah. Um, I, don't laugh at me <laughs> or laugh at me if you want. But I, I started skimming through... The top dance songs of the late nineties, the late nineties to two thousand two, and I and I dwindled it down to about three songs or artists that I'm, if you mix I'm, them together, you could probably figure out Mr. Kitty. I'm looking forward to hear, seeing this now. So uh, I think if you took "Heaven" by DJ Sammy, mixed it with "Sonic," it feels so good. And throw a little dirty Vegas days go by. That's literally <laughs> what I was just looking up because, like, I'm thinking about, it and all of a sudden, out of nowhere, it was like a little butterfly of like thought. Because listening to this track, especially in the background, yep. we're listening to it in the background as we talk, and uh, I just thought of it. I'm still picturing the damn video and the commercial because it was on a Mitsubishi Eclipse commercial yeah. in the early 2000s. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, I. That is exactly what I, I felt when I heard it, because I'm like, I fucking heard this music before. I know I have. And not to mention, a lot of this sounds like it's off of the original Dance Dance Revolution's fucking soundtrack. I mean, the the way the beats are flowing, the sounds, the different filters he uses, it's straight off of DDR soundtrack. Oh, absolutely. There's there's definitely a, a very, very strong, very, very poignant uh, dancey Dance Revolution cl- club trap feel to it. Every every couple songs it'll pop in there and you'll have some very, like very defined eighty synth pop. But a lot of it has got that late nineties, early two thousands uh, club feel to it. Absolutely. Uh, was he? I saw that he has a lot of Russian followers. Was he uh, originally in Russia or is he See, that, Russian? No, he's from Texas. He's yeah, from, I see he's from yeah. Austin, but I didn't know if he had moved here from Russia. Or no, nope, no, nope. he. Uh, from what I gather, and the few few little minor conversations I've had with him over the little bit of time I followed him, he's uh, he's from the Austin music scene. Uh, you know, started off doing you know club stuff there, and it kind of took off. You know, Austin is a pretty good place to live if you're trying to figure out like if you're a musician or not, because there's so many avenues, there's so many 
festivals. There's a lot of connections there, and it's just that's he's just kind of branched out from there. I don't understand the Russian connection, but it's it's unique in the fact I notice a lot of comments are in Russia. Yeah, it's like, hey, much love. You know, your Russian fans are here. You know, we all support you. So I'm a little curious if uh, yeah, if he has any Russian background, but. Do you want to jump in and really do a little in-depth uh, reviewing here? Or? Yeah, yeah. I, uh, I wrote some things down. I, uh, I tried to process and, uh, and digest this whole album, but I realized that that's uh, it's like trying to eat an elephant one bite at a time as opposed to eating it you know, as a whole. Um, the one thing I get about, I, I take away from this, is that I'm not a dance pop guy. I'm not a dance record guy. Right. Um, but I found, like, especially like in the time that I spent listening to this, which is a lot of late night, early morning multiple hour drives um this fits you know it's if 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 nothing else like the worst thing you could say about it is this great background music um just trying to think here just kind of try to you know go through my notes um one of the things i did take away from one song in particular from this album outside of from liquid was uh the song in your arms and it was one of the few songs from that record that i definitely felt it was reminiscent of the cure which it's it's weird because you wouldn't think of a of such a strong dance record to have that sort of you know thing yeah. to it. Yeah, no, I I could I can definitely feel that. Um, but yeah, I mean, and this this is a, a guy that's that's trying his best. I mean, this this album I feel is like basically it's it's a it's a snapshot of therapy. Um, it's just as long. It really is. I uh, <clears throat> I have a few favorite songs on here, at least from the first half of the album that I definitely want to highlight. Uh, basically, everything one through, let's see, 15 to 19 or so are great records, but From Liquid, My Weak Side, uh, Molt, Melting Core. Yeah, that's a good song. Melting Core is a fucking club banger. Yeah. Uh, I Want to Hurt Myself is actually a very upbeat song, but its subject matter is very, you it's know. It's one of the darkest songs in the album. Zero uh, Percent Angel was really good. Um, and I really got into uh, Puzzle Heart featuring a bunch of Korean or Japanese signatures. I don't know what her name is. He has collaborated with her many times before. I don't know what her name is. Um and their vocals together, they, they work. Like, she is, you know, very much a, a, a synth-pop light type of singer, and it fits his uh, his vocalization as well. Yeah, it's really good. Uh, in Your Arms, and that's about as far as I got. I didn't make it through the last third of the album. The, the What I'll say with the last third is by the time, because I, I did it in a marathon session. I literally listened to the entire album in one night yeah. while I was working. And as I got towards that last third, and maybe it was just the fact that I was kind of washed out on it, um, I got to the point where I just really wanted the album to end because thematically it's it got into a dark place and it kind of stayed in a dark place the last the back half of that album, which is it's understandable because, you know, this, this is definitely, you know, this was a bit of a emotional, you know, you know, purging for this this gentleman. Uh, but the last song in the, the album itself, which is I Did It All For You, which it, it feels like it's almost like, I wonder if some of the content in here, if this, if this uh, his friend of his that passed away, I wonder if some of the lyrical content in here 
was influenced by maybe something that they they talked about together or whatever. Because I feel like sometimes it's not just Mr. Kitty uh, talking to somebody. I feel like his friend is is almost in a way he's like trying to talk from the grave to the listener. Yeah. I get that feeling a lot because I get like it's like a two sided conversation going on throughout the entire. Listen, if, I, if you, that makes any do, sense. Do you know the history of the friend? Do you know if he helped him with lyrics before or anything um, like that? I, from what I gather, uh, it was it was a friend that there was more of an a like a an emotional, maybe a, an intrinsic love connection in a way. Um, that's what I gather from it. I really couldn't find much more beyond that. I don't know if they had a relationship or or something of that nature, but. Uh, it definitely feels like there is there was a deeper than average connection between the two if you base it upon what you read in the lyric, the lyrical sheets. Yeah, it's pretty interesting. I mean, I feel really I feel for him when I hear this album. I really do. I haven't gone through and dug through all of the lyrics yet, but just listening to it, listening to his voice, the tones he uses, the filters and stuff, you can really get the sense of sadness and, you know, uh, longing and I think it's a beautiful, almost uh, love letter to his friend. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with that. And and to add to your uh, the use of vocal effects, I thought that was uh, my biggest takeaway from the album was his choice of effects for his voice per song. A lot of it, I I grew up kind of I don't poo pooing lyrical or vocal effects. Um, as we've gotten older and as our musical tastes have changed, I've liked it. Um, on this album, I think it's one of the greatest uses he did was it really added to the emotional content of the songs. Uh, some of the anger, there's a lot of distortion, a lot of flatness. Um, it's all over the place. It really adds a lot of depth to his voice, and it, and it really added to like the, uh, the listenability of the album, too. Absolutely. So uh, do you have any final words? Uh like I said, the uh, at the end of the day, I think you and I both concur on this, and that really is the fact that this album could have either been a 15-track single album and just picking out the 15 strongest songs or bookend them at one at, at the front of the beginning of the year. That way it allows you as a listener to kind of take it in at a smaller pace. I, I think if you try to listen to this album all at once, it will overwhelm you and it will make you fucking sad. Um, you definitely get into the headspace that he was in when he was writing these words and making this music. Um, but that said, um, if you have never heard of him, I would definitely say this would be a good place to start because there's, there's some, there's some definitely, there's some, I'd almost say pop ready hits. If, if you, if you put them on the rec- on a radio station, yeah, yeah. um, from liquid is, uh, is, is at the top of it. That is a bona fide pop song. Uh, it's got a great hook. Got great musicality, um, just and the fact this guy's doing this all on his own, like in an apartment. The, the production value on this album, all throughout all thirty tracks, is uh, off the charts. Yeah, it's um, it doesn't it doesn't. We have to do him justice by saying that he is a phenomenal programmer Absolutely. and musician and singer. I mean, he does do this by himself, and you'll find, like you said, me and you come from a long line of uh, full bands. Exactly. You know, bass, drums, guitar, singer. Mm-hmm. Uh, and over the last few years, as me and you have uh, really expanded our musical experience, we found that a lot of our favorite artists are actually s- 
solo artists that are making this shit in their fucking apartment alone and putting it out on Bandcamp for the world to hear. Yeah, and and what I'm finding in, in, in full agreement with that and following up on it is the fact that you're getting so much more of a pure product. Um, the for the the better of, an, of our time playing in bands, the one thing I, I noticed the hardest thing to do was to find everybody getting on the same page all the time. You could kind of be in the ballpark, but you couldn't exactly be on the same you know wavelength, the same heartbeat, whatever. And it was always hard to do, and it always kind of dissuaded me at the end of the day playing in bands, trying to write with other people, because you would always find you'd have to dilute what your message was to make everybody in the in the in the circle happy. And I, what I gather from, and what I take away from seeing a lot of the music that we listen to, where it's just one or two people, you get a much purer vision. And I think the music itself, or the or or the the, the complete part of it, is. Uh, it resounds more because it's it's more genuine, I think. Absolutely. Can you do you dare to put a number rating on this? Because I'm reconsidering Yeah. I don't wanna I don't know. I don't wanna sound like a fucking dick. But I I enjoyed the album and I wanna give it a number rating, but I feel that it's disingenuous to him because this album was made it's a in, in the yeah. Back end of a, a close friend of his suicide. Yeah. Uh, I would have liked to have seen it in two different albums, but I mean, this is his uh, this is his love letter, and you can't really judge him on that. No, I mean, you can't is, you can't critique him for it. Yeah, and I think I had a number designation, but I think after you say that, it really is something I would just say: just listen to it. Please listen to the album. Uh, listen to five or six tracks off of it, um, and give some of his other stuff a listen. If you're a fan of '80s music, if you're a fan of synth pop, if you're a fan of just good songwriting. Um, he's really good. Uh, he's it's catchy. It can be great as background music. It can be great for really anything. Dancing, singing along with. There's a lot of emotion into it. So I would definitely say I, I, I that's my that's my rating. Just just give it a listen. You know, go to his Bandcamp page. Uh, and, uh, and 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 check him out. You yeah. know he's he's got all of his tracks right up there. You can listen to all of it for free. So there's there's no financial investment in it unless you decide to support him as an artist. That's that's what I would say to do for to anybody. Yeah, I I can't even say that I would put this on album album of the year for me simply because I don't I don't consider it an album. I consider it a project. Yeah. I consider it a an art piece, not. Not a fucking album that's meant to be wrapped in plastic and sold to the public. Yeah, exactly. So I, 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 I love this album, and I'm just, I just leave it as its own being. Yeah, yeah, just to kind of just, just admire it for what it is, and to basically, if we can do nothing else, if the 15 to 30 people that like us want to check it out, just to shine a light on it and say, you know, give them a chance. It's, it's, it'll, you won't be disappointed. Right. All right, well, that's it for Mr. Kitty. Please check him out on Bandcamp, and you can also hear him on YouTube. The new album is Ephemeral, E-P-H-E-M-E-R-A-L. So moving on, Will and I had the pleasure of going to see our our guys uh, a couple weeks ago down in uh, Massachusetts. We got to go to the Black Queen concert. Exactly, and that was definitely something for us that's been on a, a pseudo-bucket list for a couple of years now um, after the fact that I think one of our one of the main uh, bonds of our friendship in the beginning was our uh, 
your your love of the Dillinger escape plan and yes. then your corruption of me into loving the Dillinger escape yes. plan. <laughs> um, to the point where it uh, maybe even my pursuit of that it, love of that band may have even eclipsed yours at some point. No, like, it did. There Absolutely. Was, there was definitely some points in time there the last couple of years where that was all I listened to. Yeah, I had fallen out of Dillinger a little bit towards the end. But <clears throat> anyways, uh, we're here to talk about the concert. So let's just go through the opening band, Sirskew. Yeah. Uh, when I first saw her, the first thing I thought of was like, it's like it's it reminded me of Drew Barrymore or even more yes. so. Um, Darla from the Crow movie, if anyone recalls yes. that film, um, you know, and and I was really impressed. Uh, her music is not for everyone, and it, but it fit as an opening act for the Black Queen. Right. Let's 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 pause. And the her name is Sirskew. It's spelled S R S Q. Yeah. And she is a solo electronic artist who uh, does almost a gothic electro music I would say some of her vocals are a little more uh, oh I don't worldly, know almost. worldly like, yeah. very Enya-esque a lot, yeah. a lot of just vocalizations uh, in, in oohs and ahs as opposed to actual words right and she was part of a another band and I'm kicking myself in the head for not remembering she was part of a duo art, us too there you go and uh, <clears throat> her partner and that band died in a fire in uh, California in 2016. And this project that she's doing on her own is kind of her way of moving through that. Um, my take on her was I really enjoyed the music she was pumping out. I, I really dug it, but the vocals were way too much for me. I think that if one of my biggest problems with concerts is that the fucking mixing is terrible. Oh, yeah. Her vocals just shattered my fucking eardrums. It reminded me of uh, Bentney. Bentney, when we went to show. see the Dillinger. They were a great band, but their their vocalization, the vocal mix was so high, and there was such a reverb to it that it was You couldn't shrill. enjoy it. No, the reverb just fucking shredded you. Uh, yeah, I mean, check her out. I, I would definitely say um, if you're a fan of... Well, the best way to put like her, the ambience of her music... Speaking of the crow, it would have fit perfectly in a gothic club, some sort of background music for a, a dark movie, mm-hmm. a gothic movie, maybe an industrial themed like action flick or something, even a comic book film. Absolutely, definitely fit that measure. Um, but uh, yeah, uh, musically, I I dug it. I really could have like jammed out to just her by herself. Which the, if you think about that concept, she was playing as a full man, yeah. talking drum production synthesizers, multiple layers. Mm-hmm. It was her by herself on the stage. Mm-hmm. Her with two synthesizers and a drum machine at her feet. That was it. I mean, and, and unto that self, that's pretty fucking impressive. No, yeah, no doubt. It's talent. Yeah. And, uh, but yeah, the, uh, it, luckily it was only a 20 minute or so set for her because I liked, I really liked the first track that she played. I couldn't, I couldn't begin to tell you any of the songs because I don't, no, them. yeah. And the very last track she did, they had a very much like a Vangelis Blade Runner feel to them, just with female vocals. Uh, it was good. Um, would I buy the record? Probably not. Um, but for a op- an opening act, we could have done a lot worse. Right. Uh, the second act <laughs> blew me <laughs> out of the fucking water. If you follow and us on Facebook, you can see the video. The band is Uniform. 
And I looked at Will. I said, what the fuck are they doing here opening for the Black Queen? They should have been opening for Dillinger. Yeah, these guys are noise terrorists. That's really the best way to describe it. I had so much fun. Yeah, yeah. I, I looked over because I, I, I thought like you would listen to them, but after seeing your reaction, the first 30 seconds they were out, I'm like, yeah, you didn't listen to them. No. Um, no, because I because when I was doing my research in anticipation of going to the shows, I thought the first thing I thought was Joe's going to fucking love these guys because they're noisy. They are, they are a hollering band. Yeah, they're a hollering band. <laughs> um, the best way to describe it for any fan of the industrial movement is that they don't quite fit in with what the Black Queen does or what CRSQ does. If you listen to early ministry. Yeah. Jesus. Jesus Bill Bill Mahara. Mahara. You know, anything from the early ministry albums, early Nine Inch Nails, Burn Era Nine Inch Nails, you know, uh, that stuff right there. It's very aggressive and just a stage presence. Oh, the singer. He was incredible. I, I loved, I enjoyed watching him. Oh, yeah. I was just, he, he was walking around on stage and, and to paint a picture, if you haven't looked at any of the pictures on our, on our Facebook page, he had this. 70s style mustache, which he looked a little like like a mean version of Anthony Kiedis. <laughs> like he was really fucking pissed from the get go, which I love. I love any guy that that comes out on stage and deliberately tries to be abrasive to the audience because he knows they're not expecting what they're going to bring. Right, right. They, he knows that they're not expecting straight up industrial hard rock. Cyrus Q was very it's ethereal. It's dance clubby. And you could definitely see how it affected a lot of the concert goers around us because there yes. weren't many of us that were there that were expecting some heaviness in any way. Well, I think that it's a fair to say that some of the people there might not know Greg Pusciato from being in Dillinger from a band that sounds like that. Which so is they didn't ironic in some way. They didn't, you know, go expecting to hear some guy <laughs> fucking just the just entire time standing, just yelling at you. Screaming at you for fucking... Tw- I didn't want it to end. I wanted an encore. I, I was like, I need to see a whole concert with these guys. They were fucking awesome. Like, literally, it was like, I think about a minute in, I think we both had the same thought, which was, let's start a circle pit right now. Yeah. Which would have terrified yeah. every fucking buddy there because everybody there was gothed up, was, was ready for that ambient, dark, you know, synth oh, pop yeah. of the Black Queen. Or, or Sersku. Yeah. They weren't <laughs> expecting this. these three guys. One of them looked like a soccer dad. The other two looked like they were like offshoots from a Nine Inch Nails band to come out and just attack you with a wall of sound. <laughs> I could pick out the 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 fans that were there to see Sersku. You could totally tell which ones they were. And I was trying to pick them out, out of the crowd when Uniform was on, and they looked scared. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It was, they were terrified. And it was. It was funny to watch. Like, I, at that point in time, I actually wanted to be near the stage yeah. because I wanted to interact <laughs> with him, first off, because I just love any time a guy comes. He just, there was a point in time, I think it was like three minutes, he was just, when they were, the rest of the band was playing, he was prowling the stage. Looking for people to assault. Looking, uh, and, and he had that mic stand. And all I could think of was the first time I ever saw Dillinger do a live show, which yep. was the, the Golden Gods from 2013, when Greg fucking sent a mic stand like flying <laughs> backstage. I was waiting for this guy to chuck that mic stand yeah. because it looked like it was going to go up. Yeah. So, yeah, that's uh, Uniform. I, I really can't recommend any songs because I don't know any singles from them, but if you're into heavy, extreme noise therapy, <laughs> yeah, fucking check out Uniform. They're yeah. insane. Yeah. Very much like if you want to burn off some aggression really fast, great way to do it. And that brings us to our main event, the Black Queen. Yes. And 
I actually wrote down while we were at the show all the songs that they played. And I got to say, I was not a big fan of Infinite Games, as a lot of you found out when we did our top five. Yeah, definitely for us both. For And maybe as part of us building it up because of how great Fever Daydream was. Right. And in every band, if you really look at it, the second album for any band is always kind of a tough one. Not, right. not everyone can go out and drop a fucking versus like Pearl Jam did mm-hmm. after 10 success. And so the second album is always the hardest one to kind of pinpoint because it's after everybody knows what's up. Yeah, but they came out with a lot of songs from Fever Daydream, their, their opening yeah. album. And, and, and it makes sense um, to, the, to the point where you think that Infinite uh, Games came out in early October last year. So maybe not a lot of digestion uh, for fans of the tracks or maybe just early on through like maybe they even they realized that some of the tracks that were on there weren't super strong I, right. I don't know so I'm um, let me run down through the list here of songs they opened with thrown into the dark which was is a great opener because it, it's it's a lead it's a lead single from infinite games yeah yeah which which was wonderful that was one of the songs that I liked on infinite games no accusations which was on infinite games as well and that was like Kind of the other song that I liked. Uh, Ice to Never, which was their opening Welcome to the World track off of Fever Daydream. We knew who they were. That was also the first track where they actually let let loose the fact that this is actually Greg from Dillinger because it was the first album video they actually appeared in. Right. Uh, We moved into Maybe We Should. Eh. That was one of the songs off of... Fever Daydream. Phoebe Daydream that I wasn't really fond of. I love that too. Yeah. Distanced was a... It's not one of my favorite tracks on no. the first album. Your Move. I fucking hate that yeah. song. Yeah, I've, uh, I I didn't like it when they released the video for it uh, ahead of the album. It uh, tonally... I just... I get where it's coming from. I definitely pick up on some of the vibes of what maybe Greg was trying to do when they were when they were writing that song. Um, but I've listened to it. I've tried to like it. It was better live. And that's the one caveat I will say. The, uh, the songs from the new album are much better represented in a live format. I think uh, whatever they've changed for Greg's vocal effects in the live aspect really makes the album songs from Infinite Games work better. I know we both had our issues with the overabundance of echo and reverb on Greg's vocals on the album. And I think they must know that or have heard it somewhat from somebody else besides us because they definitely changed the way like the songs were promoted, presented in a live. I, I, a hundred percent. That was an example of a band playing live. That was better than the fucking recordings. Oh, even off the, the, uh, the fever, even off of fever daydream. I, I think this band, uh, in a live setting, and it's not surprising when you think about the, the the cast of this band. I mean, obviously, Greg Pusciato is known as one of the more uh, dynamic frontmen in modern metal. Yeah. Then you take Steven Alexander, who's been a guitar tech for a Perfect Circle, Nine Inch Nails, mm-hmm. the Dillinger Escape Plan for many years, and then uh, adding uh, uh, their new, uh, I would say, their media guy, because I really couldn't call him a synth player or whatever, because he does so much. He's basically the live element of all of the backbone. Josh Eustis. Uh, Josh Eustis is is their their traditional guy. But yeah. Justin McGrath. Oh, uh, Justin. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In addition to the live band, 
And uh, he's a former sound engineer for Nine Inch Nails and a current sound engineer for them. And he's performing them live quite a bit over the last couple of years. That, that concert, I had... I couldn't take my eyes off of Justin. He was great. He, he was amazing live. He had so much fun. He had so much energy. and They all did, really. Yeah. And uh, was it uh, Stephen Alexandra he was standing in for? Oh, uh, no. Josh Eustace. Josh Eustace. I mean, uh, I was. We, if you look back on some live shows of the Black Queen from the past, Josh Eustace doesn't really have a lot of flavor or uh, energy typical i'm here to do this work and push these buttons yeah he he is he is very much your your standardized live uh knob twiddler uh you see a lot of like live djs yeah when when they do their studio stuff they get out in the the live element and they really just are kind of in their zone Uh, josh uh justin was just a pleasure to watch he was climbing on top of his gear he was standing up rocking back and forth i mean it was just fucking awesome yeah the live element that he brings to the the group and it was almost like it was contagious because watching their live videos from concerts uh before justin came into the picture and everything beyond it um there's definitely a change in the live element of the black queen's presentation You're, you're definitely seeing a lot of greg's former stage persona leaking back into the deal and you're definitely getting a lot of what uh what justin is bleeding into it and you, you feel you get a live there's a little bit of chaos to it which you wouldn't think if you listen to these albums that they've released you'd see a lot of uh a lot of that put into their live set but that was the the, the main takeaway from it is that every song we heard sounded better than the album cuts i was very excited to see um how the guitars in the live mix would present themselves. And albeit they were still definitely lower in the mix, I really, really dug what they added to it. Just the way they changed the songs, there was a little there were more instrumental elements to it. It definitely didn't feel like someone was just pushing a button and they were singing in front of it. Right. And I mentioned this to you after the concert was that I would be excited to see if they took Justin over Josh. Josh. Yeah, I, and talking to people before the show that have familiarity with Justin's work, his previous work, they all said that that his 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 stuff he that he whatever he engineers, whatever he makes, is really good. And I haven't found any of it yet. Um, I've been looking uh, because that thought, just like you said, it that's very intriguing. Because well, and, and and not only, I mean, let's face it, he was playing the shit that. Josh had written. Yeah, but there were definitely some changes to it. But the the changes were to it, and um, the chem- just the on-stage chemistry between him, Greg Steve, and Greg. and Greg was phenomenal. And you could see that they were actually having a lot of fun yeah. together. And, uh, if you, and if you follow their social media pages, uh, since this change has happened, the, uh, the level of social media presence that the band which is primarily Greg now, which is interesting because he's been absent from social media for many years. Yeah. Um, you get it in what they share. Um, their Insta page, they've got a lot of things with them after the shows, pinballing, uh, doing karaoke. There's a different feel almost, and I'm not, and I don't even want to down whatever Josh Eustis brings to the band. Oh, absolutely because, not, no. But, but there definitely feels like there's definitely a change in the group. Um, I, and I don't know if this is a permanent thing. I would like to see what Justin would bring to the table yeah. in an EP, even with just a couple tracks, just to kind of see what his flavor right. added to the band would be. Because I definitely sensed 
there was something more to it uh, in the live element. So moving on down our song list, we had Tom and Should. Which is uh, that right there. And, and if anyone listens to us and listens to any of the bullshit I spew, go listen to that fucking song. Yep. It, it's, it, it's a fucking gorgeous tune, and it's... It was really, great live. It's a dark love song, really what it is. Yeah, it's, it's, and live, yeah. Live really shown how good a music, a singer, not a screamer, a singer that Greg Pusciato can be. That, yeah. His, his falsetto on a lot of these tracks was great, but on that track especially, it's shown. Next, we're moving into Death Cannot Touch. Another good tune, Secret Scream, which is meh for me. The thing about Secret Scream, it's... I know why it's there. Like, when I hear that song, I know why it's in the set list. You look around to the audience. When you, when you think about what it means for a song, that's a club track, but it's also, it's literally Greg Pusciato fucking your ears. Right. It's a sex track. It's what it is. You play for anybody that's the first thing. Oh, that's sexy. You know, it's it's got a very pulsing, animalistic beat. And, I mean, he, he's basically just talking about getting inside someone's head in a very erotic way. Yeah. Uh the end where we start, yeah, dude. fucking a. That's a track that you should listen to. Uh, Strange Quark. It's not a terrible track. I I definitely like that better than Distanced. Um, but yeah, I, I I will agree that there 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 were some parts where it meandered a little bit. There were there were maybe a couple tracks I would have traded out. Um, I would have kept Strange Quark in there because I actually like that too. And then we have the best song on Infinite Games on the entire fucking album, which is the last song on the fucking album, One Edge of Two. That fucking track, dude. Um, if I hated the rest of Infinite Games, I would have given it at least a seven based upon that song. Yeah. Because we never really dove into it in the, in the review of the Infinite Games album. My takeaway from that song is, even though Greg will never say anything about it, that track is describing him finally separating himself from who he was in Dillinger. Yep. That's the bridge that, you know, you listen to the lyricism that he is basically figuring out he doesn't have to hold on to two edges of two separate worlds. He's becoming who One. he feels, yeah, he's becoming who he feels comfortable with. And it comes off as a very, it's just a gorgeous song. Absolutely. Yeah. And, uh, and it's great <laughs> because, uh, because it's, it's definitely one of those tracks there where you can see it being a set ender. They keep building it up. There was a little more texture and layer to that tune in a live element. And Greg's voice was sick. I wish they would have ended with One Edge of Two. I, I, I like Apocalypse Morning, which is what they ended with. But I wanted to leave two minutes early because they love, you know, Greg is playing guitar on this. Yep. And and the one thing that I I love about it, and it's ironic because I think you and I are very similar in the way we like to make noise with guitars. Um, the 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 last three and a half minutes of this track is basically them just force feeding the guitars into the fucking fronts of the amps, yeah. soloing, but they're literally facing the amps with the pickups turned all the way yeah. up, gain turned all the way up, so you get a lot of white noise, a lot yeah. of feedback, and and I get it. Um, Every band has that moment. Um, you go back in time. You, like for me, early days Pearl Jam, it was always Porch. Porch was Eddie's turn to go fucking climb something. That's pretty yeah. much what it was. In the case of Apocalypse Morning, it gives Greg a chance to play guitar, which he is actually an underrated guitar player, and I'm really surprised he never played in Dillinger. Uh, hearing him a killer be killed, his solos, albeit meat and potatoes, paint my number solos, good stuff. Um, I would like to see more guitar in the Black Queen. I would like to see them take more of a Nine Inch Nailsy. Uh, 
Cure-ish, sort yeah. of Depeche mode sort of like turn with what they're doing. Um, but yeah, it's 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 definitely like the one little bit of excess you got from a live set. Um, and I would agree if you were to pull a gun to my head or put me on a lie detector test, I would rather see them end with one edge of two. Yes. Uh, with Apocalypse Morning leading into it. Yeah, I can see that. Yep. Yeah. In that way, it would, it would put a kind of like a nice little, like a cherry on the top of the of the experience, I think. So there you go. There's our review of the Black Queen concert. Um, I would probably go see them again with would. a new album. I mean, if they, I'd have to give it some time. I mean, it was it was a good show. I liked the venue. Oh, the Cambridge, the, yeah, the the Sinclair Cambridge. It was great. It's it was like, like, like four hundred people in the upper balcony was closed. Yeah, there was less than. Uh, 150 I'd, people in there. I'd say 150, maybe two. And we were sitting in the back of the room, and yeah, we were literally 25 feet. From we the were stage. leaning back against the engineer's booth, which is the best place to be at yep. a concert. Yep. And we had beers, and we had them on the side, and we were just fucking digging the show, and it was very intimate. And yeah, the entire experience itself, like the Sinclair, the fact you could eat there, the food yep. was decent, the food was good, the service was great there. Like there was not one part about that experience inside the Sinclair no. that I wouldn't say I wouldn't. I would dissuade anybody from going to a show there. I would highly recommend it. Uh, it's a top shelf, small, intimate like outing, and the fact that it's not directly in Boston that it's in Cambridge uh, is quite appealing to us who drive in and out of the city. Right. So there it is, folks. That's another episode for the week. Uh, don't forget to reach out to us at musicaddictpod at gmail dot com for any questions, comments, suggestions, uh, gripes. Yeah. Angry emails, anything. Reach out to us, and we'd love to talk to you. Give us suggestions for things you want to review. Send us samples of your music if you're a musician and you want us to play it on the air or do a review of it. But follow us on Facebook at Music Attic Podcast. And, yeah, we'll, we'll talk to you next week. I'm Joe. And this is Will. Have a good one. Peace.